Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88,000. You got your Bibles, Bible apps, open up to Luke chapter 14. Uh, If you are a Christian in the house, this message is for you. If you are not, first of all, I'm very, very thankful that you're here. We may have some people in here that are not believers. We may have people in here that question whether or not they really have a good relationship with the Lord. We might have some people in here that got burned by church and they're trying to step into church for the first time in a long time. I'm sorry about that. We might have some people in here just trying to to search and seek, and you've, you've tried a lot of different things, and maybe you're open to giving God a try. And if you're any of those people, I'm really thankful you're here, because today I want to talk about one of the essential elements of what it means to truly be a Christian, because I want to call, talk about a call to discipleship, what that means for us to live as disciples. There's a principle in the Word of God, and it goes all the way back throughout history to the Old Testament a commandment that God gave to his people. And then Jesus repeated it in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all. Everybody say all, all your heart. And with all, everybody say all, all your soul. And with all, everybody say all, all your mind. In the Greek, that word all means all. All of it. He didn't say love the Lord your God with some of your heart, with a little bit of your soul, and most of your mind. Jesus is not asking for a little something, something. He's asking for your everything, for everything. And he went all out for us so that we can go all in for him. How many of y'all remember the old hymn, I Surrender 70%? (laughs) Do y'all remember that hymn? Nope, because <laughs> that's not the hymn. It's I surrender all. It's not I surrender some, I surrender mostly. I surrender when it's convenient, when it fits in my schedule, I surrender-ish. It's none of those. The song is powerful because of the word all. All. I don't know about you, I like being around people that are 100% committed. Like all in type of people, all right? I'm a pretty intense person. I don't know if you've gathered that about me, but I am. So no matter what I'm doing, like I'm going to be, I'm going to be all there. If I'm playing sports, I'm going to be all there. I haven't played a lot of sports, hurt my knee. I'm a little nervous right now to play sports, but when I've played sports, basketball, whatever, I'm going to be all out, all out to the point where honestly, I have probably lost influence with some people playing sports because I am a little intense. All right. And if I'm, if I'm not playing good, my trash talk game is gonna be on point, okay? All right, I'm just, I'm all in when it comes to games, playing a board game. If you are not standing and pacing at one point or another while playing Monopoly, are you really playing at all? I mean, honestly, sports teams. I'm committed to sports teams. I'm not like some of you people that just follow your players to whatever team they're gonna go to. Like, I'm committed to a team. Like, when I pick a team, I'm gonna stick with them. 
One thing you cannot say about Hogs fans is that they are fair weather fans. Like you all are committed, like irrationally committed sometimes, but you're committed. And I love that. God loves commitment. God loves undivided loyalty. So here's the question. Are you 100% committed to God? Are you devoted to Jesus with all of who you are? Your heart, soul, and mind. In Luke 14, 25, starting in verse 25, it says this, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Okay, I love that. What I've noticed is when I read through the Gospels, Jesus will wait till there's a big old crowd following him right before he turns around and says some of the most offensive things. I love that. It's like, all right, I feel like there's enough, there's a few thousand people. Now I'm gonna tell them something that's hard to hear. I'm gonna tell them something that is going to test whether or not they're just following me because of signs and wonders or if they're following me because their hearts are longing to be close to their creator God. And then he would say stuff like this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. What? So if you haven't read that before or if, you've, if you're not a believer, you're like, Jesus is preaching to hate people? No, that's not what he's preaching. Because what Jesus demonstrated over and over again is how to extravagantly, unconditionally love people. What he is saying is that your love for God, your commitment to him, your desire to follow him, your extravagant love, sacrificial love, unconditional love for God, when compared to any other relationship or any commitment to any other thing in this natural earth, it should look like hate in comparison. That's what he's saying. In another translation, it said it more close to that. In the NLT, it says, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even your own life. In other words, God is seeking whole hearts, undivided hearts. That's what he's looking for. What is the disciple? I think you gotta talk about that. The term Christian was first used in the New Testament and it applied to the, it first was used in the church of Antioch. That, that word was first used there. But in the New Testament, it was only used three times. The word Christian, three times. The word disciple occurs 269 times in the New Testament. And what does that word mean? It means a disciplined learner. It's someone who adheres to the teachings of someone. A disciple of Jesus, then, is someone who follows Jesus in order to become as much like Jesus as they possibly can. And the truth is this, every single person in here, you are being discipled by something or someone. You're being discipled. You're gonna be discipled by family, you're gonna be discipled by teachers, by friends, by peers, by music, by social media, by movies. You will be discipled. 
Someone has taught you how to live, how to think, and how to make life decisions. But if you call yourself a Christian, then you're calling yourself a disciple of Christ. And God's heart for you, without a shadow of a doubt, is for you to learn how to be like Christ and to help teach others how to be like him too. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. So let's talk about these principles. I wanna talk about this call to discipleship. Okay, now, before I get started, how many of y'all have ever heard of a personality test called the Enneagram? Anybody in the house? Okay, all right, so about 40 of you know exactly what I'm talking about. A bunch of you don't know, but basically it's a personality test where based on how you respond to different things in life, your personality, they give you a number, okay? And you have, usually you have like one number and then you have like an offshoot. I don't really know, I didn't take the test. The reason why I didn't take the test is because apparently I'm an eight, okay? And an eight in the Enneagram, what they do is they challenge people, okay? Now my wife had to tell me I'm an eight because eights also don't care to take the test. We're too busy out there challenging people, okay? but that's, that's who I am, all right? So on that personality test, they got it right. And today I am going to challenge you. I'm gonna challenge you because I'm your pastor and I love you and I can't say that I love you and then permit you to think that anything less than wholehearted devotion to Jesus makes you a disciple. A disciple is 100% committed. And the call to discipleship is first and foremost to be dangerous, not safe. To be dangerous, not safe. Now, in our early years of ministry, Cody and I, uh, we went on mission trips all the time. We did some dangerous stuff, all right? We would climb mountains in the middle of nowhere, in, in, in the Andes or in the Himalayas to do mime dramas for the lost to try to lead them to Jesus, all right? We would forge rivers through jungles to preach the gospel. We would smuggle Bibles into communist countries. We, did, we would eat food that you guys would never consider food, some of the weirdest, craziest stuff because we, we knew if we would eat that food, it could give us some favor and some grace and we might be able to lead somebody to the Lord. In our early days of ministry, we did some crazy stuff and then we did one of the craziest things that we'd ever done in our lives. We had four babies in five and a half years. <laughs> crazy. And because of that, these days, dangerous, looks a little different than our early days of ministry. Like today, the dangerous things we do, it's kind of a joke. Like staying up past 11 on a school night. Watch out, it's edgy. Sleeping on the wrong pillow. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. That's dangerous, people. Picking up our grocery order too late. Taking a bite of a pizza roll before it's cooled off, all right? Dangerous stuff, accidentally putting the wrong essential oil in my belly button. It really burns, okay? <laughs> You're just gonna have to take my word for that. There's a story, I don't wanna share it right now. You know what's really dangerous? Do you know what's really dangerous? You wanna be a rebel? What's really dangerous is not living for the world. What's really dangerous is not living like the world lives. That's, that's dangerous. Luke 9.23 says this. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, 
You must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Man, Jesus did not die on the cross to keep you safe. He died on the cross to make you dangerous. He is our protector and provider. Why? So that we can be a force for his kingdom. And at some point, and this has happened to me too, but at some point, church people started thinking the following Jesus was about getting our blessings and our promises and our eternal insurance plan and just holding down the fort till Jesus comes back. And I think it's time to stop living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. The Christian life, though, is a sacrificial life. It is. And if it costs nothing, then it's not a sacrifice. I wonder if sometimes if there are church people and maybe even people here, hear my heart on this, that think that think that they are following Jesus, but in reality, all they've done is invited Jesus to follow them. Come and join in on my agenda, Jesus. What I think is important. Like, bless what I do, bless my world, bless my endeavors. And don't get me wrong, there is nothing wrong with asking God to bless the things in your life. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that is the entirety of your relationship with God. It is a narcissistic relationship. And the truth is, it would be unhealthy and most of you would never have that kind of a relationship with a human. But we do it to Jesus. Like Jesus, don't take the wheel. Actually, if you could just ride shotgun, keep me safe and feed me snacks. That's a bad country song and it's not a great way to live either. Here's one of the most dangerous questions that you can ask. God, what do you want me to do with my life? Today. This hour. This minute. What do you want me to do with my life? The only thing that is more dangerous than asking that question is not asking that question. The only thing that's more heartbreaking, more unfulfilling, more shallow, more empty than not asking the question, what do you want me to do with all of my life is not asking that question. God calls us to be dangerous, not safe as his disciples. He's also called us to be intentional, not accidental. Anybody that's raising kids, how many of y'all know you got to be intentional when you're raising kids? Hey, look, I'm a pastor. You know, my kids, they understand that, that even around everyone in our church, people look at them. Uh, there's pressure on my kids because they're PKs. Uh, and, and the truth is, I want to remove all that pressure. I just want them to be who Jesus calls them to be. But at the end of the day, as much of the word as I try to get around my kids, as much as, much as I pray, as, long as, as much as I try to surround them with godly 
influences. As much as I try to protect and guard their gates so they're not just letting any amount of trash come in and try to infiltrate their life, as much as I stand in the gap and bind and rebuke the devil away from them every day of their life, as much as I do all that, I promise you, my kids, as pastor's kids, they're not gonna wake up just one day, head pop off the pillow and say, I am fully committed to Jesus. They're not gonna come out of their room and all of a sudden say, Father, I'm ready to hear you speak the word of God to me. I am ready for you to impart wisdom. What is the daily devotional, Father, that you would like to share with us? Before we get started, Father, I've brought all of my devices to you, and I would like to have a holy fire of sanctification in the backyard. I am putting off the ways of this world, and I am committing my life fully to following Jesus. Uh, my kids aren't, they're not there. But every day, I have to intentionally, proactively be led by the Spirit of God, held to the conviction and standard of His Word to impart into them, God has a purpose for them. Jesus loves them. The devil hates them. The world won't understand them. But if they will, begin to apply this truth, it'll lead them to a life and life to a full that no one else can take away from them. But I have to be intentional. None of you are gonna wake up one day and suddenly just say, I'm all in for Jesus. You're gonna have to be intentional. It's a personal decision. Look, the Holy Spirit is the only one that can draw people to salvation. That's what he does. But once he draws us to salvation, we make a choice every day to continue to learn and follow and obey him every day. No one can make that move for you. Ultimately, you can't rely and ride the coattails of your parents' faith. You can't rely or ride the coattails of your religious upbringing. You can't rely on your preacher. You can't give excuses and you certainly can't have a victim mentality. None of those things will help you. You have to be intentional. So back to verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? If you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose... A king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether or not he will be able to with 10,000 men to oppose the one that's coming against him with 20,000? If he's not, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. What are those stories talking about? It's saying, have you considered the cost? And are you ready to pay the price? Have you considered what it takes to truly follow Jesus? Look, we may not face physical death for our faith, 
But we have to die to ourselves every day. If Jesus hung on the cross, at least we can do is carry our cross for him, for his sake. It's not just our responsibility. This is a privilege given to us by heaven. And it doesn't happen by accident. Actually, nothing of great value happens by accident. Nothing. My marriage. I have to be intentional in my marriage. Cody and I will be married 20 years this coming August. So it's getting pretty serious. And I'm, and I'm thankful for that. But we are committed to one another. We're committed. We are in love with one another. But there are many days we choose to love one another. Because the feels aren't always there. It's a choice. But we are loyal with one another. A lot of things come naturally in our marriage. They do, but some, because of our pace of life, because we have four kids, we have to be very intentional about them. Going on dates, communication, loving each other, not just the way that we feel like giving love, but also understanding how the other one really experiences and accepts love. We have to be intentional. Being healthy. Nobody gets healthy by accident. There aren't any shortcuts. Here's the deal. I fully intend to go and eat a Mexican pizza from Taco Bell. I fully intend to do that. At least one, probably a couple. I would say that there's a lot of evil in our world. The spirit of the Antichrist is rampant. But every once in a while, you see little glimpses of glory. And I think Taco Bell bringing back the Mexican pizza could be of God. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I also think it's silly for me to get that Mexican pizza and pray for it. Pray over it. God, would you please change the molecular structure of this Mexican pizza so that somehow it will nourish me and help me to go and do your will? Nah. I'm going to be in trouble if I eat too many Mexican pizzas. I'm just telling you right now. I'm going to have to be intentional. I have found that when it comes to praying and fasting, nobody accidentally prays and fasts. They have to be intentional. It takes intentional decisions. We are not full of the Spirit and the full of the fruit of the Spirit by accident. We don't know God's Word by accident. We don't know how to grow and change on accident. We don't develop life-giving, deep relationships and friendships by accident. We have to be intentional. I think one of the most important areas that we have to demonstrate our desire and our willingness to be intentional is with biblical community in the local church. This is one area where I think it can get tested for people. Why? Because in most of our pace of life, if we're not intentional about it, it's not going to be a priority. It's going to be way down on the list. Here's the thing, though. If you don't have biblical community, okay, and however that takes shape, that could be two or three people that you work with and you gather together with them and you talk about life and share verses and pray for one another. It could be a life group. I don't know where it is for you, but it is where you and two or more are gathered and you grow. You challenge each other. You encourage each other. It's not just we get along. We have some common interests. We hang out at the lake together. No, it's more than that. It is a challenge. You have 
to grow when you're around biblical community. If you are missing out on that, I am sorry. We do everything we possibly can to try to make sure that there are multiple ways that you can get plugged in and have biblical community. But here's the thing. If you're missing out, I'm sorry. I'm sorry because we are missing out on you, but you are missing out on us, and it is a commandment in the word of God to have it. You've got to have it. But you're going to have to be really intentional about having it. And too many people, they're like, nah, I mean, I'll go to church. Yeah. The worship's great. Sometimes that preacher has something good to say. But as far as like the word saying I'm connected to the body of Christ, I have a purpose and a calling within that The day I become a believer, I'm meant to find out what that part is and begin to strengthen and grow and act and help strengthen, grow the rest of the body. It says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. So a lot of times I think in images, I think this is kind of a funny picture. Come on. Let's go. It's still there. It's just not helping. Or if it was the foot. All of a sudden, the foot just decides, I just don't want to work today. I'm sorry, the body offended me. The body hurt my feelings. I don't like how that body is acting. Okay? Well, here's the deal. You may be in a church in one season or another, and you may need to move from that church. You may, it may be a season. God calls you there. But don't abandon the body of Christ because of the mistakes, faults, and failures of one little part of the body of Christ. You are still a part of the body of Christ. The moment you become a believer, you're a part of the body of Christ. A lame limb in the body of Christ is an oxymoron as a disciple. You can't be a disciple and say, nah, I just not feeling it. I don't like how that person gets this attention, how they were appreciated, but I wasn't, whatever it may be. I don't like how they do that song. I don't like how the preacher said that today. There's tons of offense. Jesus prophesied. That in the last days, there would be much offense and people would hate each other. I don't know about you. I don't want to be a part of what fulfills that prophecy. I don't. It's an oxymoron to say, I'm a part, but I don't want to help. Just like a non-serving Christian is an oxymoron. Because Christ came first and foremost to serve. You can't say, I love Jesus. I love Jesus, but not help get his bride ready for when he returns. That will definitely not get you favor with the groom. If you came to my house and you were hanging out in my house and you were like, James, I like you. I like you. I really, I like hanging out with you. 
you're a pretty cool dude. And I'd be like, I know, you know, it's, yeah. it's a good thing we got going, you know. Yeah, I like you, James. But your wife, I don't like her. She offends me. I don't like some of the things she says. It offends me. That might make me want to throw hands. You know, like I might, it might get a little spicy. How do you think it makes Jesus feel when you say you love him, but aren't committed to, or you like being negative about or critical about or divisive with his bride? I love you, Jesus. I want nothing to do with your bride. I think you're going to have to be really, really intentional about being a disciple. And disciples, man, they're thermostats, not thermometers. You also are going to have to be spiritual, not natural. You're going to have to be spiritual, not natural. In other words, being a disciple is not going to make logical sense. Nothing in the kingdom of God makes natural sense. Everything is upside down. Everything's upside down. The greatest among you will be the least. The least among you will be the greatest. Even Jesus' disciples had a problem accepting this reality. Peter didn't like the plan of the cross at one point, so Jesus had to call him Satan. It says in Matthew 16, 23, he turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And you can't be who God called you to be by thinking in the natural, living in the natural. You can't just live a humanistic, logical life and be a disciple of Jesus. This has to be a life of faith. A faith. It's supernatural life. What does that mean? It means... Jesus takes his super and puts it on your natural. And I want to tell you, there's no more fun way to live than that. Live in the supernatural life, in the spirit. And that includes how you deal with people, how you deal with offense, how you deal with people who have hurt you, said bad things about you. You don't deal with it the way the rest of the world deals with it. You deal with it in a supernatural way. You deal with it like what 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Or what it says in Ephesians 6.10, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world and against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. The word of God makes it so clear, but I still see so many Christians that are engaged in the wrong fight with the wrong people using the wrong weapons every day. And this can be a struggle. It's certainly been a struggle for me at times, certainly a struggle for believers, 
But too many people are making it a lifestyle dealing with things this way. And the sad thing is it hurts their personal witness and it hurts the kingdom of God. I think maybe when I've struggled with it, I'll, I'll speak to that. When I've struggled with this, when I've struggled with trying to get in the natural to deal with stuff versus staying in the spirit, versus staying in the supernatural, usually it's a lordship issue. Usually it's some area where I'm like, okay, God, I, knew you have, I know you have all that, but this one, I'm getting this one. I got this. I'm gonna take care of this. It's a lordship issue. I think a big part of the problem is that many Christians have totally bought in for salvation, but they haven't sold out for discipleship. Or another way to say it would be this. There's a lot of people that love the idea of Jesus as their savior, but they will pump the brakes on Jesus as their Lord. That's a problem. I love my wife. My wife uh, is amazing. She's an amazing mother. Uh, my wife does a, a, a ton of things around our family, around our home that helps things run smoothly. Uh, my wife, you know, she, she cleans the house. She, we, we bought a house. We had to remodel. So in the midst of everything else, she finds time to, to paint walls and do things like that. She helps manage a lot of our finances. She does a lot of this. She helps cook. She cooks a lot of the meals, most of the meals. Okay, 98% of the meals she cooks. Okay, but here's the deal. If I was gonna meet someone new and I had Cody with me, I would not bring her up and say, hey, I wanted y'all to meet my wife, my cook. I promise you, if I introduce Cody as this is Cody, my cook, in the moment, she's going to handle it with grace. Later on, when we're alone, she looks sweet, but she will cut me, okay? This ain't going to go good for me. What's my point? My point is, that there are so many amazing benefits that come with being married to Cody. So many things that she blesses me with. But all of those things come out of the overflow of the first and foremost most important thing, and that is a covenant biblical marriage with her. She is all of those other things because she is first and foremost my wife. So I introduce her as Cody, my wife. And because she's my wife, you should hear about all the other amazing things. It should be the same in your relationship with Jesus. Jesus as your savior. Jesus as all the other benefits that come out of having a relationship with him are meant to be the overflow of him first and foremost being your Lord. He's supposed to be in control. But maybe it's a lordship issue 
And that's why you have a difficult time not living in the natural. I know that's happened to me. In Joshua 3, 5, it says this. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And I feel like that is a good message. You know, from time to time, I feel like you just, you got to realign. You, you got to get your priorities back on track. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get busy. And before you know it, you're off doing all kinds of stuff. And it wasn't your intention. You still love God. You still love his bride. You still love the church. You're just not living like you are. And, and I think from time to time, myself, we need just to be realigned. But I think, especially in the day that we are living in, I'm not a doomsdayer. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I just see it how it is. The spirit of the Antichrist is rampant in our nation and around the world. I don't know if the person is alive that is going to be the Antichrist, but his spirit is actively working. And I see so much deceit, so many lies, so much division, so much just crazy out there. And I don't want for us to be lulled to sleep and be surprised and realizing, man, I wasn't living for God. I don't want to be in that place. I don't want to pastor a church who is worldly, and shows up on Sunday and asks God to bless us. I don't want to live like that. And it wouldn't be loving of anyone to lead you that way. So, consecrate. To consecrate means to set yourself apart. To set yourself apart. It's going all in and going all out. I do believe if we will go all in as a church. And I want you to know, I'm not talking about church services. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your day to day. I'm talking about you meditating on his precepts, praying without ceasing, inviting his spirit to walk with you into every conversation into every business deal, into every conversation with someone at work, into every conversation with a neighbor. I'm saying not living for the world, even though you're gonna have to live in it for a little while longer, but to consecrate your heart, consecrate your mind, consecrate your soul, be set apart, focused, laser focused on him. So I think it's good timing because we got some seniors and they're gonna be branching out and going into the world and going into their next season of life. And I think it's a word from God for you to hear this. The enemy hates you. and He's gonna do everything he can to distract you. He's gonna do everything he can to try to steal the truth that has been planted in your hearts by your parents and by the people that love you. Consecrate yourselves. 
consecrate yourselves. You're set apart for him. He loves you. He's got a plan and a purpose. And I promise you, if you will hold the line, keep his word as a priority, keep understanding who you are in him, your identity in him, surround yourself with the body of Christ, but also make sure that you don't abandon the lost. Make sure that you're around people that are hurting and need Jesus. Just don't do it by yourself all the time. That would be foolish. Be the people that God has created you to be. Be the people God's created you to be. And if you will, I believe with all my heart, God is getting ready to do amazing things. Even this morning, his spirit in our services this morning, he's been a little different. There is a fresh outpouring that is happening. His word says that that would happen. I want us to be under it and a part of it. Amen. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand this morning. If you're thankful for his word. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. What do you need to trust God more with? Because usually that's what it is. It's like, is there something that I, that I took out of God's hand? Is there something that I'm trying to control that I need to release back to him? Is it finances? Is it families? Is it your career? Is it hobbies, passions, and desires? Is it your future, your possessions? Maybe it's your fears and insecurities. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's your time, your energy, your talents. I don't know what it is, but let's bring it before the Lord right now. Let's bring it before the Lord and say, Lord, I give it back to you. I want you to have control. I want you to have control. I trust you. I trust you. I'm gonna declare every day my trust in you. Even when I wanna try to take it back, I'm gonna declare that you are faithful. You love my children infinitely more than I could ever love them. And so I trust you with their lives. I trust you with their future. You love me more than I could even put to words. And so I trust you that you are my provider. You are my defender. You are my strong tower. The place that I run, I trust you. Give it back to you, God. There might be some of you that if you were honest, the Lordship issue is that you've never surrendered to him. You've never surrendered to him as Lord. And there might be a couple of you that you've, you've carried the title of Christian, but in reality, you've just asked Jesus to follow you, but you haven't surrendered your life to him. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. Or maybe you've just, you've just been away from him. You were there, but you drifted. Or this is news to you. Maybe it's the first time you've heard that there is a loving God who has an amazing, powerful plan for your life. If you will surrender to him, if you will trust in him for salvation, he wants to do amazing things for you. And if you're here today and you know you need to surrender to Jesus, as your Lord, and you need him to save you from your sin. There's Christians that are praying around you right now because they understand how important this decision is. And I don't want you to worry about anybody else. 
but I'd love to pray with you. And I want to give you a chance just to admit that it's you. Because I think that in that moment, when you're willing, when you're humble enough to say, that's me, I need Jesus. I need to rededicate my life. I need to commit my life to Jesus. I'm away from him. In that moment, when you're willing to admit that, there's gonna be faith and grace that'll break loose in your heart for you to receive everything that he has for you. And if that's you, nobody's looking around. Once you put your hand up right now across this room, I need Jesus. Thank you, brother. Yes, ma'am, thank you. Got you there at the back. I got you, thank you. Anyone else, I need Jesus. I'm away from him. I'm ready to just surrender to him as my Lord and Savior. I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of doing things on my own. I don't wanna just play the role of Christian. I wanna be a disciple. I wanna be a fully devoted follower of Christ. Anyone else? Okay. For every person who raised your hand, the Lord knows your heart. But I think it's important that you also communicate to him where your heart's at. And I would encourage you at some point, you need to go public with this decision. You need to declare that you're a Christ follower. A great way to do that is water baptism. We'll have a chance to do that in a couple weeks. But I encourage you, tell somebody, as soon as the service is over, maybe somebody you came with, call up a friend, let them know, hey, I surrender my life to Jesus today. So the word says, if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then he'll save you. But let's just talk to him right there in your chair. You don't have to say all the right words. Just say something like this. Say, Jesus, I need you because I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. And I believe that you came and you paid the price for my sin on the cross. You paid a price that I could not pay. And I ask for your forgiveness for my sin. But I also believe that you rose from the grave. And when you rose from the grave, you defeated sin. You defeated death itself. And because of that, yeah, I have the hope of heaven. And I'm looking forward to eternity fully in your presence but I'm not gonna wait on that to see your kingdom come and your will be done in my life today as it is in heaven. So lead me according to your purpose. Lead me to, according to the power of your spirit. Help me to have a conviction of your word that it's my standard, that I'm not gonna pay attention to what everyone else is saying is truth. I'm gonna be led by the only truth, the eternal truth. And one of the ways I'm gonna do that is I'm gonna surround myself with other believers that aren't perfect, that don't get it all the time, but together we are the body of Christ and we're gonna keep each other strong. Help me to find that, Jesus. And I thank you for saving me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I think that just needs to be something that every person in this room, sometimes you just get off track, you forget the cross. You forget what Jesus did for you. You get too busy. You forget that you were lost and dead in your transgressions. And then Jesus saw you before you were ever even born and knew every dumb thing that you would ever do. And he said, I love them. I would come and I would give my life if it was just for them. Where's your thankfulness for your salvation? Where's the joy of your salvation? Some of you, you just need to get back to that place right now. Place yourself in your mind at the foot of the cross where Jesus spread his arms and said, I love you this much. And he poured out all his blood and his body was broken so that you could be healed. Are you thankful? Are you thankful? Father God, help us to be a church that is thankful that we have a full understanding of, of just what you did for us 
And because of that grace and that love and that mercy, it motivates us to be the people that you've called us to be. Help us to be a church that isn't perfect. We don't have it all together. We need you. We need your grace. We need your love. But with all of our heart, with all of our desire, we want to be fully devoted followers of you and help that to manifest itself in every sphere of influence that we have, with every person, person that we encounter, within our jobs, within our families, within our finances, within every area of our lives. Let the fact that we are following you with everything we have be evident. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen.